we've talked about quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers. Ah, so that means all that's left to cover is kickers, right? This is the kicker megapod where it's time to discuss the ramifications of Brett Money Mar to the Saints to replace Will Lutz. I mean, this is why we have our special guest here today, noted kicker expert, lead writer of the website kickerlist.com, Eric Smith. Welcome to the show. Welcome, by the way, really happy to have you on here today. <laughs> Thanks for having me as an awesome intro. Um, my kicker expertise ends with the types like uh, Will Lutz and uh, Harrison Butker and those types. So if he's out, I'm in trouble. But um, I'll adjust the rankings. I do the kicker rankings for the site. They're in there. So uh, let's get those updated and we'll uh, we'll get you all drafting good kickers this year. Yeah, you did sound devastated the other day when Will Lutz went down. But have no fear, Brett, only good from beyond 60 yards Maher is in new orleans to kick don't don't draft brett maher he will disappoint you anywhere inside of 60 yards uh as a cowboys fan i can say that i remember those days um we also have another guest with us us here today we actually do have a special guest uh and that is qb list writer ryan heath uh he just wrote a really amazing article called league winning running backs what they look like and how to find them uh you might remember him from the waiver wire podcast last year ryan actually welcome to the show and how are you doing today I'm doing great. Thanks so much. You know, you got me really excited. I thought we were about to talk about kickers for the entire podcast. I did a lot of research on all these kickers in preparation for this. I'm kidding. I know nothing about kickers. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm excited to get into it and talk about my article. Yeah, and we're also going to be talking about the tight ends today. Uh, You know, as we had mentioned in the previous podcast, we are going to go over, you know, all the four main uh, positions in your fantasy football rosters. And so today we are going to talk about the tight ends as well. Um, And I mean, obviously there's not as many when we're talking about tight ends versus like running backs or wide receivers, but we are definitely going to dig in to all of the fantasy relevant tight ends. Um, Just a quick heads up. I think this is the last time I'm going to mention this because this weekend you can actually meet Eric Smith uh, as well as Kenny Heitenhove. They're going to be at the fantasy football expo uh, this Sunday in Canton, Ohio. Uh, They're going to have a booth. They're going to have all kinds of cool information, swag, all that stuff. So definitely go say hi, meet them and, and just meet you know all the great people of the fantasy football industry. Um, they'll be able to talk about our projections, which are on our site, qblist.com, as well as uh, Eric's rankings. Uh, all of the great stuff that we do is all there. Like I mentioned, Ryan's article, uh, which we're going to talk about today. Definitely go read that uh, at qblist.com as well. Uh, and more importantly, you know, join the Discord community because when you have questions about these articles or you want to follow up and share the awesome selfie you took with Eric this Sunday at that Fantasy Football Expo in Canton, Ohio, you can do that in our Discord community. Go to pitcherless.com slash plus to join. Uh, everything on the website is going to show you all the amazing baseball stuff that we have to offer as part of like our, I don't know, little sister site, pitcherless.com. Like, I don't know if you might have heard of them, uh, but you'll also get access to all the QB list side of it as well. So you can tag Ryan and ask him hey which of these guys you know that you didn't mention in your article could be a league winning running back you can tag eric and be like your kicker rankings are absolute trash like i don't understand this what what is happening here you can do all that as well as get draft analysis help with your keepers all that kind of stuff so definitely come and say hi um and and by the way also we're still doing mock drafts we just did a super flex draft the other night um eric how did that super flex mock draft go for you oh it was a lot of fun um i 
I got Lamar in the first round. So once you do that, you can kind of sit back and relax in a super flex league. So um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it pushes everyone back a few rounds, kind of changes all the ADP. Um, and I'm really, it's starting to grow on me. I was against super flex at first, but I'm trying to adapt. And especially in dynasty leagues, I really love it. So I encourage everyone if they haven't uh, been involved in a good super flex league to join, because it's fun getting that one really good quarterback and then trying to piece together QB2 all year. Well, that's the cool thing about you. Like you mentioned how super flex drafts, you have to kind of change your rankings, change your draft strategy. Um, You know, if you're in unique leagues like that, this is exactly the kind of thing you can come to the discord community. Let us know what your league settings are. Hey, you're in a 0.5 PPR league, but it's 0.75 for tight ends. Like, there's all kinds of leagues out there that have settings like this. So anything like that, feel free to come and talk to us about it. Um, let's talk about a couple of uh, pieces of news that have come out in the, since the last podcast. Um, so we spent a lot of time recently, I think was it last Wednesday's podcast uh, or maybe the, the quarterback one talking about Carson Wentz's injury and uh, you know how he's kind of been dealing with that foot injury for like 10 years now. And uh, he's going to have like a five to 12 week recovery period. We might not see him back until October. Uh, he's already back at practice with no boot. I don't really know how that happened. I am very confused. He might not have a foot. It's very unclear as to what's going on there, but uh, he was at practice. Um, It's been eight days since the surgery. So really great work by that surgeon. Um, He's not full go. He wasn't like scrimmaging or anything like that, but he's clearly progressing towards that five week recovery timeline versus the 12 weeks. So do we kind of just like forget all of the analysis we did over the last eight days as we kind of expected Jacob Eason or Sam Ellinger to be the quarterback there in Indianapolis. Yeah, I mean, it really shows why you shouldn't overreact to all this training camp news unless it's a legitimate, like, set-in-stone injury, although we kind of thought that was it with Wentz. It was a broken bone in his foot, and that (laughs) sounds pretty set-in-stone to me. Yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, as far as, like, Jonathan Taylor, I didn't really adjust him in my rankings, and I think it paid off. I think his upside was so high that we should have just kind of stuck him around where we had him, but – I, I still think it's reason to have like Wentz lower and T.Y. Hilton and, and you know, Michael Pittman and those types. They're already lower in the rankings and we need a lot to go right for them. And this is already eating into their practice time and their chemistry. So um, very encouraging for, you know, for Taylor. The rest of the receiving core, though, I'm still holding back on them. This just is not going to help them click on all cylinders week one. And it also looks like Quentin Nelson, who suffered the same injury as Carson Wentz, also clearly went to the same surgeon because the initial report is that he's also trending towards being ready earlier in the season rather than later. Uh, We haven't seen reports that he's like back in practice or anything, but it has the same level of optimism. Um, You touch on Jonathan Taylor kind of dropping his ADP from uh, last week to this week dropped from uh, he basically dropped two spots in drafts. Um, He was going roughly around seventh. Now he's going around ninth. Uh, So he didn't drop that much clearly by drafters either. But uh, do you expect it to climb back up towards like that six, seven range that he's being drafted at? Or or do we think he's going to settle in towards the back half of the uh, or the back end of the first round? I would expect him to jump back up if this news keeps like this, because everyone just was dying to draft him. So I don't think that's going to change. As soon as we get some green lights from the rest of the team, everyone's going to be back on him. So, yeah, I'd expect him in the five to seven range again. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil too much of the article. We're going to get there, but Ryan, you know, we're talking about Jonathan Taylor. He was featured uh, or was mentioned at the very least in your league winning running backs article. How do you feel about Jonathan Taylor? Do you see him as someone you should be targeting in your drafts or is there maybe some underlying numbers that, uh, you know, give you a little pause? He's definitely a target from a ceiling perspective. I will say that there were times in the last week when he was leaking even into the second round, and that was really exciting for people that were going to take advantage of that. You got a nice one-week window there, but 
yeah, we're going to talk about him a lot and he's looking pretty good based on the research I've done. Yeah. If you're a Jonathan Taylor believer, hopefully your drafts uh, happened yesterday or before, uh, unless, you know, something happens again in the next week, because I, I just feel like anything can happen during preseason. Um, Speaking of which, let's talk about Rashad Bateman. Uh, he is expected to miss a few weeks with a groin injury. Um, John Harbaugh did say that he's hopeful Bateman will play in week one. Uh, but, I mean, who knows? It's, it's so far away. Um, thoughts on the Ravens offense, Eric, as they are now down Hollywood Brown and possibly Rashad Bateman. I mean, does this do anything to anyone's value on the team? So, I mean, I think this offense, as it was last year, can function um, with Mark Andrews and not a whole lot else. Like it's just such a good running game. Lamar's so good on the ground. Uh, I don't think this is like doom and gloom for Lamar and for JK Dobbins and all them. This is just, if you're expecting that next level from this Ravens passing game with all the investment and the wide receivers, it's not looking good here. Um, Hollywood's already hurt. Bateman's already hurt. Uh, but like, again, like with the Colts valuable practice time here. So um, Bateman was already, he was someone who was going too high for me to ever draft. So maybe this actually gets him in the range where I can pick him up late in drafts. Cause I do think there's a lot of talent and upside there. I just wasn't willing to pay sticker price for him. So um, I, again, I'm not super worried about these injuries until we know they're going to be missing time, but it's just a, a kind of a bad mark on the start for the, the Ravens offense here. Yeah. Rashad Bateman going way too high at average pick 156, which is like basically undrafted. In, not in my in drafts. So <laughs> uh, that's because so I'm in his drafts. <laughs> there we go. So clearly uh, uh, Eric's drafts are not being put on uh fantasy data's uh, radar. Apparently um, I, I just got to know at what point does the Balt do the Baltimore Ravens just go with the Navy uh, triple option offense and just, I mean, just do it. Just line up Lamar Gus Edwards in the fullback slot, JK Dobbins behind him. You don't need wide receivers on the scene. Like, let's just just do it. I mean, every play have, used to be like Willie Sneed. And I mean, they kind of already did that, right? Yeah. But I mean, no, <laughs> I want I want both Edwards and Dobbins back there in a in an I formation. Let's just really bring it back to those college days. I was I never understood why Navy was on TV. And then I, I watched them play and I was like, oh, because it's weird and everyone wants to watch it. Sweet. <laughs> um, one more injury uh, piece of news, uh, kind of someone coming back. This is Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow, um, who's been having training camp struggles and, uh, you know, kind of spoke about it early this week and really said it was a, a mental thing. I mean, you know, when you break like every you know ligament in your knee and then, you, you know, you come back and there's 300 pound dudes like running at you. I can understand why that would be a mental thing, but it's very tough. And you know what? Uh, for those of you who follow basketball, it reminds me a lot of when Derrick Rose uh, tore his ACL back in, I believe it was 2012, coming off an MVP level season, took him way longer to come back. Um, it seemed like he was physically ready, but just wasn't able to mentally get over the hump. And when he did start playing again, he was not the same player. He was taking long jump shots, wasn't willing to attack the basket. And I'm I'm very concerned that we might see the same type of not being willing to stay in the pocket, might be trying to get rid of the ball really quickly, might get... I don't want to say scared out there because I, I mean, it, you know, I would be scared too. And I didn't even break anything in my leg. I would be scared. But this is uh, concerning for someone who we really are hoping for a big year from in Joe Burrow. I, I mean, I, you're the Bengals fan, Eric. You know, talk to me what's going on in your mind. I mean, I was kind of expecting this, honestly. I mean, again, I remember this coming back, Carson Palmer's ACL injury. Uh, They're both severe knee injuries, and they don't just come back right away full speed. Maybe he gets up to speed for the first game, and this is just turns out to be nothing. But um, for a quarterback, the way they seem to want to run their offense, dropping back 40 times a game, like you can't hide him at all. He's going to get hit. He's going to get pressure on him. They didn't improve the line a lot. And he's got to be ready for this. So we'll see. Uh, I think the worry, if you drafted Burrow already, is that they 
ease them in and they're running 35 times a game, no matter the score early on. And, um, you know, that's probably good for them long-term, but it's not going to be good for fantasy purposes. So it's all about volume here. That's the concern because that's why uh, Burrow and these pass catchers are so intriguing. They, the Bengals had a leap passing volume last year. And um, we just don't know if it's going to be that right away, at least this year. Does this change your evaluation of Burrow going into drafts? Um, no, I, I kind of already was discounting him. Um, it's, it's causing me more so to lower chase and Higgins, I think. So, uh, I, I think maybe the top tier season for them is getting lowered. And so I need to drop them a little bit in my rankings, but, uh, with no, with the lack of rushing ability coming off an ACL, I already wasn't valuing Burroughs super high. So he's right about where I had him. All right. Well, let's talk about something more positive, like um, how you can win your league with how you draft running backs, because that's important, right? In those first two rounds, everyone's drafting, or I mean, it's less so now, but it feels like everyone's drafting a running back in the first two rounds. Um, You might have a, a zero RB team here or there. And how do you know that you're drafting the right one and you're not drafting someone who might be some fool's gold or you're getting the guy right before he's going to fall off a cliff? You want to make sure you're getting the right running backs. And that's what Ryan's article was really all about. Um, Honestly, first of all, I kept scrolling and scrolling and I was like this, wow, there's a, there's a lot of information in here. This is a very good and very data driven read. So I just want to ask before we get into all of it, Ryan, what kind of led you to writing this piece? Like what, why did you decide that this was something you needed to write? Yeah. So you mentioned the zero RB draft strategy and I've been doing a lot of research into how to do optimal best ball drafts this summer because I'm obsessed with underdog fantasy. I've spent way too much money on that platform this summer. So in my research, I was reading a lot of articles from people like Pat Corain and Hayden Winks, who are all really zero RB advocates. They will talk about how wide receiver hit rates are much higher than running backs throughout most of the draft. And I really, the light bulb came on when I was reading a Pat Corain article that posited the only reason that we draft running backs early in drafts in the first two rounds is because we want to hit on a Christian McCaffrey level season like he had in 2019 or like a David Johnson in 2016 type of season. So that was really a light bulb moment for me. How can we find these guys? What have they looked like historically? There can't have been that many of them. So what commonalities can we find? So that was kind of my approach to this. It's interesting. You mentioned kind of like drafting for ceiling early on with the running back because, and, and part of this, I'm, I'm about to say, I'm, I'm kind of taking from fantasy baseball because this is something that, you know, I've said a lot over there and something that uh, Nick Pollock uh, boo Nick Pollock. He said fantasy football is stupid, but he did say, you know, it is floor early ceiling late, right? You want, you don't want to lose your drafts at the beginning. So you're saying Ryan, that we really should be kind of bucking that trend. And if you're going to draft a running back in the first two rounds, you really should be focusing on their ceiling. Yeah. The floor early ceiling late type of advice can be good generically, but there are situations where you should be prioritizing ceiling early in a draft. So I'm actually going to kick this off by asking Eric a question. Eric, what do you think of Christian McCaffrey this year? Do you think he's going to have a really awesome season? Yeah, I do. Um, He's one of the few that can hit that target total. And uh, he's definitely drafting at his peak. But I think he's one of the few that can hit this number that uh, you were talking about in your article. If if, Wait, hold on. He's drafting at his peak. He's being picked first overall. How would you not draft him at his peak if he's going first overall in every draft? 
Yeah, and that's my point exactly. It's great for you that Christian McCaffrey is going to have an amazing season if you're drafting at the 101. If you're not drafting at the 101, that's terrible for you. You're already at a disadvantage. So the next question to ask yourself is, do you think the guy at the 101 in your league is incompetent enough to mess up that advantage to the point where you shouldn't be doing everything you can to make that up? If you're drafting late in the first round, you're treading water if you're not trying to find that player that can go up to that Christian McCaffrey level. And that has to be your goal in leagues where you think that the guy drafting at 101 is competent and is going to build an optimal roster. Yeah. So it's really interesting. A minute ago, you mentioned this, you know, you're like this ha- can't have happened that many times. These guys who've had these insane seasons, which in the article you put as 350 plus uh, PPR fantasy points. So that's the, that's kind of the the baseline that you set. And it's happened about a, a dozen times over the last 10 years. And I'm looking at the table uh, where you break down who did it and what their ADP was. And there was only uh, basically, there's only one player that was going first overall. And that was Todd Gurley in 2018. And then uh, less than half of them uh, were going even before like pick five. Um, most of them were available either in the back half of the first round or even guys like Le'Veon Bell in 2014 or Todd Gurley in 2017 who were available in the second round and beyond. So these are, I mean, right as of right now, 50% likely that if you don't have a top three pick, you still have a chance at drafting one of these guys based on kind of historical uh, how it's played out. Yeah, the average ADP of these guys was 9.0. So on average, they were getting drafted at the ninth overall pick. So that is a good point because when I was starting this research, uh, I got a lot of people saying to me, oh, well, this seems kind of pointless because you're just going to find that the top few guys are going to be the best every year and no one else has a chance. So why are you even drafting or thinking like this? But that turned out not to be true. So I'm really excited to talk about some of these guys as that you can potentially be drafting in the late first, early second. Okay. So let's, let's talk a little bit. You, you narrowed in on kind of six key metrics and that you can use that were kind of uh, maybe not predictive, but uh, you know, kind of, I I don't know how to, how best to put, I'm not a math person, but uh, these were six metrics that kind of, uh, uh, you know, I, you you explain it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So I, I don't want to say that they're predictive because I haven't done the type of testing that would show us what percentage of each of these guys will be hitting. So I don't want to say it's predictive, but I purposefully used metrics that we have access to right now before the 2021 season. We know all of these things right now. Like, We could have said, oh, I need to see an 18% target share in 2021 for a guy to hit the ceiling. But we don't know who's going to have an 18% target share in 2021. It's, It's August right now. So I purposefully was looking at metrics and indicators that we have information on right now. Yeah, kind of trying to find those patterns, right? Where where it kind of all lined up. Um, So there's six metrics um i'm not going to share them in the order that you wrote them in i'm, I'm kind of let's i want to start with kind of the one that's most interesting to me um and that was speed score and that's something i haven't seen um i don't know exactly what speed score is so so what is it and why why do i care why does it matter 
Yeah. So speed score in short is a guy's speed adjusted for his weight. So when guys run at the combine, they will post a certain time. It might be a four, four flat. That's an awesome time, but it's not as impressive for a guy who weighs 180 pounds to run a four, four flat as it is a guy who weighs 220 pounds because there's more force that is that is being generated by a more massive body. I was terrible at physics, but if you think of it like force equals mass times velocity, if a guy is heavier and he's at the same velocity, he's generating more force when he's running on the field. And that both gets guys drafted higher in the NFL draft because teams care about this stuff and it makes them viewed better by teams because again, teams see these physical freak Saquon Barkley type of players and they fall in love and they want to give them a 90% opportunity share. Okay. So basically saying that like the athletic profile of these players um, can really be uh, a big impact on number one, them getting the opportunity, right? I mean, them, you know, being this, like, as you mentioned, this athletic monster can give them uh, that opportunity from the, the coaching staff. But also, I mean, I would imagine it also helps them perform well at the NFL. I just, you know, I've seen uh, Derek Henry run through a few people. So I feel like it, it generally is helpful for them to be really athletic, strong runners. Yeah, it definitely helps to be really athletic in sports. <laughs> and that that's just that's just so that's what I was doing. Wrong. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah, that explains a lot. I'm gonna have to go back and, and tell 12 year old me, hey, be more athletic. Uh, it would really have helped. Yeah, um, that's re- that's all you need to do. That's it's really that simple. <laughs> so so with speed score, right? And it, you're looking at the percentile, so how they rank uh, among other uh NFL running backs, basically you need to be in the 60th percentile or higher, and even 60 is low. There's only two guys who are in the 60th percentile who um, had these season. That was Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey, who both, um, you know, really made a strong use of, of the passing game as well. I mean, they they definitely got up there because they had some incredibly prolific passing work. Um, pretty much everyone else on this list is in the 90s. Uh, Saquon Barkley at 99, 99th percentile, Todd Gurley, 92nd. Um, you know, Jamal Charles is the only person out of the 90th percentile at 88th percentile. So really, it just goes to show we're talking eight of the pa- of the 12 seasons. We're in the 88th percentile uh, or higher um, in speed score. So it really goes to show how important that can be. Uh, the next one that I want to touch on is target shares. And Eric, actually, we talked about this on the running back podcast last week, uh, kind of talking about, like, for example, why is Derrick Henry not in tier one when, you know, he, let's be real, he has every bit of, of ability, if not more than someone like Alvin Kamara, who's right in front of him. Um, and you'd said he's not going to get the targets and targets are so important for running backs. Um, can you just kind of reiterate on that, Eric? Like, why is it that they need to be targeted in the passing game to be at this elite level? Well, it's because we're playing the PPR leagues and half PPR leagues for the most part in 2021. Um, so you're just getting bonus points just on catches. You can argue about how, you know, how fair that is, but that's what we're playing here. And uh, it's just a huge, I mean, we're not, we're, we're long away from the days where running backs got 35 carries for 95 yards and three touchdowns. It just doesn't happen anymore. And so if you're counting on those rushing yards 
the, the points just aren't there. You need those receptions. It gives you a higher ceiling, gives you a higher floor. And really, like, the difference in targets is just staggering. I mean, the targets that Christian McCaffrey can get and the targets that Nick Chubb can get are just on different levels. Like, they're not even close. So it's different than looking at, you know, a wide receiver two and a wide receiver three. They might both be in the same range of targets. Running backs are way different. So that's why I, I prioritize targets is because it just – it really sets them apart from their competition. I just want to say my my favorite thing that uh, NFL teams have started doing in the past few years. I, I don't know if the Rams were the first ones to do it, but they were the first ones that I saw doing it. And that's the little uh, quarterback in shotgun formation. It <laughs> gets the snap and then immediately just flips the ball forward to the wow. running back. It's a carry, but it because it's a forward pass, it's a it's a target and a reception. It's so great for fantasy leagues. It it makes no sense and I love it. Um Ryan, so so targets obviously important for running backs. What what did you find when you were looking at the the target shares, Ryan? Yeah, so almost all of the dozen players that had these boom years had reached at least 100 targets in that year. And that, that number kind of surprised me. Like I knew that these guys were going to be active in the passing game because as you guys mentioned, targets are worth a lot more than carries in fantasy football if we're in PPR leagues. But a hundred targets for a running back is significant. So what I wanted to do, since again, we can't look into the future and know who's going to have a hundred targets this year. I looked at the target shares of each of these players before their boom year. So I took the highest target share that they had posted over a full season, not on a per game basis over a full season, because I really wanted to see who had shown the ability to number one, stay healthy for all of or most of the year, because that that is a big part of posting a big season is you have to stay healthy for all of it. And number two, I want to see who can be involved on all downs. It takes a lot for a team to trust a running back to stay in for both running situations and passing situations. They have to be competent pass blockers, which I we like to rag on in fantasy football. That always seems like a cop a cop out. I don't like this guy's pass blocking, but it does matter for whether they're on the field in these passing situations. So what I found was most guys that were able to post these boom seasons had at least a 10% target share at some point before in their career. And that doesn't really sound like a lot, 10%, like, eh. But there are lots of guys that are being drafted in the first three rounds this year who have not sniffed a 10% target share. And we're going to talk about uh, how important that is for certain players. But this was a really interesting find, I thought, and something that we should definitely be paying attention to right next to speed score. Yeah, so I kind of this was something I wanted to touch on with with Derek Henry, for example, because one thing that stood out to me when I started reading this article was you'd mentioned the 12 running backs that had hit uh, or, or the 12 seasons, I should say, because there's guys like McCaffrey who are on the list twice um, who had hit that 350 plus PPR mark. And Derek Henry, who is coming off of an absolutely historic season from a running a rushing perspective did not hit that mark. And we're talking 2000 rushing yards, 17 touchdowns led the league in both numbers, you know, by a good, by a good amount. And he didn't hit that number and his career high in targets, which came last year was 31 um, at the chart at the bottom of your article. You kind of show that the top 20 running backs by ADP and Derrick Henry's previous high in target share is 6.6%. 
that's that's the mark that he's hit. So it just goes to show again, going back to that Derrick Henry conversation, that you can absolutely have the like best case scenario as far as the rushing numbers. I mean, I don't think we could have asked Derrick Henry to do any more on the ground last year, but he's not getting to that level because he's capped without that uh, without the passing game. Uh, ability you know if they're not going to give him that little forward toss then uh it's not going to do us any good in ppr so uh which by the way tennessee do that it's it doesn't cost you anything i'm sure derrick henry can you know catch that and come on um so that that's important and, and the targets are important i mean it even honestly i i really thought you wouldn't this number was going to be fudged a little when i saw demarco murray was on the list and i was like there's no way demarco murray had been uh had reached that number before but he actually did uh 11 target share uh, previously in his career. So, uh, you know, it goes to show how much I paid attention to Cowboys in the early 2010s. Jeez. Um, but yeah, no, target share is important. Uh, and, and I can absolutely see, I mean, you mentioned in the article, targets are worth 2.37 times more than carries uh, in terms of fantasy points. So it just goes to show how important they are. I, I want to touch on one more metric, um, you know, and kind of really dive into it. And that's the NFL draft capital. So basically, you know, the average draft pick um, that, you know, like the actual NFL draft pick that was used on these players was uh, pretty high in the draft. Um, I think there's only a few guys that weren't drafted on day one. And as you mentioned in the article, no one was drafted on day three or was undrafted. Um, so these guys are people that are, are being drafted pretty high in the NFL. And part of that is if a team puts that kind of capital into drafting the player, as you mentioned earlier, by the way, the speed score thing, they're going to also want that player to get the opportunity on the field. Um, so I wanted to ask a question that we saw pop up quite a bit after this article came out, which is, does this metric apply to someone like Aaron Jones or Austin Eckler? Because they both signed significant contracts with their team. I mean, that's the, it's not draft capital, but it's, it's a capital capital that's being invested in them. Uh, so does it matter that Aaron Jones was drafted in the fifth round or Austin Eckler went undrafted uh, for, for the sake of this, you know, kind of exercise? Yes, it does matter, but not as much as you might think. And there's two angles to this. Number one is that, sure, we can look at Aaron Jones and Austin Eckler, both awesome players, love both of them. They're both so fun to watch. But their teams haven't invested in them the way you might think. Green Bay spent a second-round draft pick on A.J. Dillon last year, and everybody, the fantasy world caught on fire because everybody was so upset with the Packers draft that year. But... The fact remains that even after Aaron Jones broke out all over the place, the Packers were still perfectly happy to spend real draft capital at the running back position. And the same even goes for Austin Eckler. The Chargers have kept bringing in guys to play on early downs and to steal away goal line carries. We've had Joshua Kelly. Now we have Larry Roundtree. So number one, the first angle is that these teams are still not going to be satisfied for whatever reason. And the second angle is that when these guys that aren't highly drafted get paid, it's generally later in their career. I did an article recently where I discovered that the last running back who got a full feature back role in their rookie year that was drafted in the fourth round or later was Jordan Howard in 2016. And that required an injury in front of him. So these players that don't have this day one or day two draft capital are going to take longer to break out and to earn that big contract. And as a consequence, they're going to be older when these teams have finally given them these workloads. So that could be another reason 
why low draft capital is a negative indicator for a breakout year because the running back position is a violent one. We're going to talk about age too, but the more years you have in your prime, the better. Yeah. So the, the age thing out, you know, you mentioned that Eckler and, and Jones are both uh, over the age of 26 or Eckler's 26 this year, but uh, you know, obviously, and, and, and we've seen it so many times. I mean, Todd Gurley is like 27, 28. He's like 26. not that old, but 20 Lordy, he- but like, but you know, when, when you put that kind of uh, workload, you know, on your legs, on your body, it's really difficult to keep that up. Um, however, I, I want to be able to get to the tight end. So with age um, and the other two metrics as well, uh, team implied team winning percentage and ADP, we will touch um, or, or if you want to read more about that stuff, check out Ryan's article. Um, we're going to skip kind of to the end of the article. Where we talk about the targets because this is this is important, right? All this research is all well and good, but uh, you know, I, I I'm I'm not smart. I just need to know who I'm drafting in draft. So Ryan, who are the guys that stood out to you that uh, really could be league winning running backs that uh, I could get if I don't get Christian McCaffrey or Dalvin Cook at the top of the draft? Yeah, so outside the top of the draft where I agree we've got McCaffrey, Cook, and I'll even shove Kamara in there as the third guy in that tier. Outside of those top three, Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley look very, very good. Uh, Barkley has only one knock, which is that his team is probably going to not win a whole lot of games this year. So that comes across as... (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so that so that comes across in the team's winning percentage, which knocks him down slightly. And Elliot is just a touch older than the guys we usually see doing these seasons. But that Cowboys offense is loaded. I am all the way in on Ezekiel Elliott in the mid first this year. So getting a little deeper, um, I definitely want to emphasize both Najee Harris and Antonio Gibson. These players, while I will admit up front, do not have floors that are comparable to some other players in their range. Like these workloads aren't as locked in as some other players you might be drafting. Harris and Gibson have excellent indicators for breakout seasons. I mean, Najee Harris, really the only knock on him is that he's a rookie and we've only ever seen one rookie do this, which was Saquon Barkley. I don't think Harris is quite on the level of Saquon Barkley as a prospect, but he hits all of these metrics really well. And Antonio Gibson, all he needs is to see a bunch of targets and his target share wasn't great last year, which is a knock against him, but he was a wide receiver in college. We know he can catch the ball. We've been hearing good things from camp that his turf toe isn't bothering him anymore, uh, that he's improving his pass blocking, that he's going to be really involved, that they're trying to find ways to manufacture touches for him. So Antonio Gibson, and this is like a really hot take, and I don't want to be held to this at all, but I'm going to (laughs) say it anyway. Antonio Gibson feels a lot like Christian McCaffrey did before the 2018 wow season. you heard it here first antonio gibson is christian mccaffrey i love it um i do also want to point out with gibson there's reports that he was in the no huddle offense which was something that he was not a part of last year they had they put mckissick in uh for those times when they were in the hurry up offense so gibson getting that work uh that's just yet another uh you know as you mentioned getting that opportunity being on the field that just goes to show that they're putting the investment you know still into the guy who they you know drafted uh, pretty early, I, I believe it was like right at the beginning of the third round. So, um, 
you know, they're, they're putting in the time and the effort to get him on the field more. So um, really goes to show Gibson Harris. I love both those guys as, as picks. Obviously I love hearing Ezekiel Elliott. I would, I would love to see that. Love nothing more to see that really um, as a Cowboys fan. That'd be great. Cause we need to score 35 points a game to beat teams. Let's be real. Um, is there anyone as so we mentioned Eckler and, and Aaron Jones uh, and kind of the issues with their draft capital, you've got um, kind of red next to their names in terms of total knocks. Are there other players that you're definitely avoiding because of this? Yeah, absolutely. And I will say that these were players I was already kind of avoiding, but we talked about it a little bit already. Derek Henry and Nick Chubb do not have the ceiling that we're looking for in this exercise. I mean, it, you put it the best. Derek Henry just put up a 2,000-yard rushing season, and he still didn't even make the threshold that I set. And you can say, oh, you set the threshold too high. Derek Henry was awesome last season. But that's ultimately not the point. The I mean, point he, didn't, is- he did not have a top 12 running back season in the last decade. Like, it doesn't matter what the threshold he set was. A dozen running backs hit that number. So with the most amazing running season that we've seen since, what, CJ2K, uh, that is still not good enough to break the top 12 over the last decade. Exactly. And like we said, it's because he lacks the targets. And Nick Chubb is similar. Nick Chubb is like film grinder Twitter's favorite player recently for some reason. I've been getting a lot of mentions and messages about how I'm not high enough on Nick Chubb. But can somebody please explain to me how Nick Chubb is going to get significant passing volume unless Kareem Hunt gets injured. And we don't want to explain explain that to you because Eric also in the running back preview, Eric basically said what you're saying about Henry and Chubb, which is that they're great, uh, but they don't have the ceiling. They both are high floor running backs who are being held back from being in the tier above them because of the, the lack of, of targets. So um, yeah, absolutely. Exactly what Eric had said last week. Yeah, and Chubb, Chubb has already had a almost 1,500-yard uh, rushing season, and he rushed for 5.6 yards per carry last year. Like, what what more can you really do? Yeah, I mean, he could score 20 touchdowns, but outside of that, and like we saw with Henry, that's still not enough to reach this threshold. So, yeah, he, totally he with rush, you on Chubb and Henry. He could rush for 5.7 yards per carry. <laughs> uh, Ryan, is there anyone – sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to cut you off. Is there anyone else that you were avoiding? Uh, no, Henry and Chubb were the ones that really stood out. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say you have to avoid guys like Aaron Jones and Austin Eckler. I don't think they have the highest, highest ceilings, but I think their ceilings are definitely better than Henry and Chubb because of the pass catching. I would still say that Eckler and Jones are fine picks at like the end of the first early second round, but they're not going to be guys that are going to vault into the fantasy hall of fame this year. And then just real quick, uh, any names outside of the top 20 running backs by ADP? I, I don't know if you've run the numbers on these guys, but is there anyone that, that has stood out to you? Yeah, so I haven't formally run the numbers on anybody outside the top 20 in ADP, but we can kind of use this process and use these indicators to look for players. So Travis Etienne is a really good example of someone that checks most of these boxes Obviously, his ADP reflects a likely workload split with James Robinson this year. So I'm not touting him as a guy that can be the overall RB1, but he's got the speed score. He's really young. He's got the first round draft capital. We can expect a high target share for Travis Etienne this year. I mean, he's got the shower narrative with his college quarterback. I don't don't really understand why we can draft Travis Etienne in the fifth round right now. Like I would, I would have thought that the hype on this guy would be 
a lot stronger that the narrative would just take over. But he's someone that I really like. Um, other than that, I will say that I like Ty Johnson at the end of drafts. This isn't so much a this isn't so much like, oh, he checks every box type of player, but he's got the speed score that we're looking for. He's got the size that feeds into that speed score. And they obviously doesn't have the draft capital, but neither does the back in front of him, Michael Carter. So I don't really see a way that Ty Johnson doesn't manage to get at least a few starts in this year or some sort of role. I mean, he's a great drop candidate after week one, if they play and he doesn't have any role. So he's a, a guy that I'm targeting in the very last round of drafts a lot this year. Yeah, and I think he's shockingly young, right? Isn't he like 23 or something? It seems like he's been in the league for a few years, but um, he, we definitely haven't seen enough to necessarily write him off. And I think that's maybe the point with some of these older running backs is just that you could count on probably one hand, if that, the number of running backs that have broken out at age 28. So if they haven't done it by now, it's not going to happen. At least someone like Johnson's kind of a, a wild card here that you can pick up late. All right. Um, awesome. That, I mean, it really, again, really fantastic stuff, not just from like the the conclusion and, and which running backs we should be looking at, but just the whole methodology. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, kind of how, how this continues to evolve, um, you know, perhaps looking at guys that are drafted later or continuing to look closer at the metrics and whatnot. So really, really cool stuff from Ryan. Again, uh, check it out. It's on our website, qblist.com, and you can see all the metrics, um, how it relates to the guys that you know did it over the last decade and how it relates to all of the players uh, being drafted in the top 20 running backs this year. Um, tight ends. Uh, this is what you know you came to, to you came for as well. Obviously, running backs important, but tight end, the most important position in fantasy football. Obviously, we all know you got to draft the tight end in the first round, uh, or else you're totally SOL. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, uh, Darren Waller has now missed eight straight days of training camp. Um, doesn't sound like anyone's concerned about his health. He's like been seen working out with a, a coach on the sidelines. Um, are we like, I mean, he's being drafted in the second round, like maybe early third. Like, are we, con- should we be concerned about, about this news? I'm less concerned on this one because we know he has the chemistry with Carr. He just has to be out there healthy for week one. So until we see that's a threat, I'm not worried. Um, it's kind of like I'd mentioned, you know, looking back at my rankings last year, we were all off David Montgomery because he had a preseason injury and then he took off down the stretch. Like, we don't want to let these preseason injuries shy us away from the good players. Darren Waller is probably the second best tight end in the league. Keep drafting him. My, my concern is that it may not be an injury. Right. Based on on what we're hearing is that, I mean, we we haven't we have no reason to believe it's anything else, but we also have no reason to believe that it's an injury. So I I just it's one of those things. I just the Raiders always scare me. Okay, that I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, And I'm I'm very concerned. So just it's just something I think to keep a closer eye on. And um, I don't know if I'm if I'm drafting right now. I mean, I already wasn't really like I was like either Kelsey or wait personally. Uh, I don't think I'd be drafting Darren Waller at his ADP personally. Um, Ryan, what, are you still willing to draft Waller kind of at that two, three turn? Yeah, so I was very in on Darren Waller this year, but I agree it's a little scary that he's not seeing the practice field and that we know nothing about it, like you said. So I'm probably going to hold off on him at the two, three turn for now um, and just hammer wide receiver at that spot is what I like to do. So, yeah. 
I mean, it's not Le'Veon Bell in a jet ski in Miami, so we're better <laughs> off than that. Um, Hunter Henry is going to miss a few weeks with a shoulder injury. He uh, collided with a teammate in practice. It didn't sound like they expect him to miss regular season time as of right now. Um, but again, we're still, you know, a few weeks away from the regular season. Anything can happen. Um, does this affect your ranking of Hunter Henry, Eric, and, and whether or not you're drafting him if you were in a draft, uh, let's say, in the next few days? Yeah, it does, because he was on that fringe already. Um, he's going to miss some time. Even if he's back for the opener, this is valuable tra- time in training camp. And after talking with some uh, Pats fans in our Discord, I was kind of hoping for an early Mac Jones start here to get the passing volume up. That would help Hunter Henry. But I don't know. It sure sounds like Cam's going to be around for a little bit. Uh, so we might be waiting for the second half of the year or later for this offense to see a spike. So, um, yeah, I'm going to drop him in my rankings on the next update. Ryan, what what about you? Does this affect how you're viewing Hunter Henry? And and actually, I should have asked this to you as well, Eric, but um, I'll start with you, Ryan. Does this affect your uh, evaluation of John U. Smith? So it does have to affect my evaluation of Hunter Henry, at least a little bit. I am probably a little more on the pessimistic side whenever we're talking about preseason injuries compared to Eric. Hunter Henry was someone that I was targeting at ADP, so that, that sucks for me. Um, and then to answer about Jonu Smith, I am not sold on Smith this year. And that's with or without Hunter Henry. There's definitely targets to be earned in this offense. There's been a lot of t- turnover from last year. I mean, w- when we're hearing that Jacoby Myers is the best wide receiver in training <laughs> camp, then that should be a positive indicator for Hunter Henry and Jonu Smith. But I do not trust Bill Belichick as a GM. I think he saw all of those videos of John Smith pancaking defenders and saying, that is my blocker that is going to be my absolute best blocking tight end this year. Yeah. So that's the worry with him. Eric, what what are are we getting back on the John Smith train that we were on for too long last year? (laughs) Again, I had some hope and then the Pats fans talked me out of him. Um, the, the, the volume's just not going to be there. He's a, he's an excellent red zone threat. So that's the hope if you're getting Smith is you're getting 12 touchdowns. But uh, there's a lot of tight ends you can chase touchdowns with. So, hey, if he falls in drafts super far, I'll take him. But I'm not going out of my way for sure on Johnny Smith. All right, let's do uh, breakout sleepers and busts. Um, let's start with breakouts. Uh, who is going to finish as a top five tight end this year that is not being drafted as one? Um, and and I'm including six tight ends in this because both Hawkinson and Andrews are going like back to back, generally speaking. So uh, we're excluding uh, obviously the the top three and then also Pitts, Hawkinson, and Andrews. Who's uh, who's going to be at the top, Eric? Yeah, I'll go with Logan Thomas. Um, I'll save some of this for the tiers, but. Uh, his just his target volume uh, exceeds what a lot of these other tight ends can sniff, and he could take another step this year. All right, what about you, Ryan? Yeah, I'll go with Tyler Higby. He was a guy that had a big hype train on him last year, and there doesn't seem to be any this year, and I can't really figure out why because almost everything looks better for him. So we'll talk about him more later. Okay. Um, who could finish? Who could finish as a top five tight end? Maybe, maybe more likely they'll finish as a top 10 tight end, but someone that's hardly being drafted at all. Someone who's being currently drafted in fewer than 60% of Yahoo leagues. Yeah, I'll go uh, Gerald Everett. Um, he's in Seattle now. Got Russell Wilson throwing him the ball. Uh, not much depth other than the top two receivers. And this is about the age tight ends can break out. So I think Everett, as far as a, a, a kind of late dart throw, uh, is a really smart play this year. 
Yeah, I think he showed enough in, in L.A. Um, playing alongside Tyler Higby to, to say that there's definitely some talent there. And he's definitely available. Um, he's only been drafted so far in 5% of leagues. Uh, so, you know, definitely someone that you could, if you miss out on the tight ends you want and you just want to wait for the last round, um, you could very easily grab Gerald Everett in, in the last round of your draft. Uh, Ryan, what about you? Who is your sleeper? Yeah, I agree on Gerald Everett, but I'm going to go with someone who's being drafted even less than he is, and I'm going to hit you with Foster Moreau. He is currently the tight end two on the Raiders, but as we talked about, Darren Waller hasn't been practicing. It's really mysterious. He could end up on a jet ski for all we know. So (laughs) Foster Moreau is a name to know. He's very athletic, and I'm excited. Is this is this a case where if you draft Darren Waller, do you maybe want to spend your last pick on Foster Moreau? Oh man, I'm so anti handcuffing even with running backs that when you ask me, should I handcuff should my I handcuff tight, end? tight end? Oh man, I <laughs> okay, don't, don't kind of do no, I kind of like it, but at the same time, it's just so gross to me. All right, um, yeah, you just don't want to be the the person who has to pay up on the waiver wire for Foster Moreau. I mean, just just you know, be ready for that. Um, and then let's talk about busts. This isn't the fun one, but um, Eric, who do you think of those top six tight ends? Kelsey, Waller, Kittle, uh, Pitts, Hawkinson, and Andrews. Which of them is most likely to disappoint us this year? Yeah, so this is more of an expectations thing. Um, I'm going with TJ Hawkinson. I just I think a lot of people view him as the one who's going to take the leap and join that top three tight end group. And I just think he's got some room to grow. And his, some of his metrics last year weren't great. And I don't know. I just I see where he's going in drafts. And I think he's going to finish around there when people are expecting a lot higher than that. So um, I, I could have said Pitts, but I just I think you know what you're getting into when you draft Pitts. It's a risk reward scenario. I don't know if Hawkinson has that reward. Well, I mean, I know what I'm getting into with Pitts, which is one of the greatest tight end seasons of all time is really what we're about to see. Uh, so, I mean, that's yeah, that's what I'm getting into when I draft Kyle Pitts in the fourth round. Uh, Ryan, who is your bust uh, this year? Yeah, it's Pitts. Um, How dare you? If, yeah, I'm I'm sorry. Obvious pick. But if you go on Twitter right now, it turns out Kyle Pitts actually was just inducted into the Hall of Fame. Like they, they <laughs> gave him they gave him the jacket. He's he's in. So, yes, people are going to be disappointed by Kyle Pitts this year. We'll get in more into why later, but that's my pick. Um, should I handcuff Kyle Pitts with Hayden Hurst? <laughs> okay, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Um, no, but that, obviously, I think everyone knows when you're drafting Kyle Pitts, it, it, again, it is that high risk, high reward. Um, it does kind of harken back, though, to like when Marcus Colston was tight end eligible and really he was being used as a wide receiver and kind of had that wide receiver volume. Um, I think that's what people are hoping for with Pitts. But if that's not the case or if he's, you know, not ready um, to be an NFL blocker, which, by the way, tight end is a really difficult position to just pick up at the NFL level. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things. And with a guy like Hayden Hurst on the roster. I'm not going to sit here and say Hurst is going to take snaps away from Pitts. What I am going to say though, is there may be times the coaching staff isn't happy with what they see from Pitts from like a non pass catching perspective. And they have a competent tight end that they can put out there when they need to pull Pitts and have a coach talk to him for a few plays. That's, I, that's all I'm saying. Um, it's a, no way do I think Hurst is going to like usurp Pitts for targets and catches, but it, it could be a, a situation where he's just not quite ready for all of the non fantasy related aspects, which is exactly the kind of thing that's going to infuriate us uh, when he's not on the field for that red zone, uh, you know, goal line kind of a situation. So um, hopefully we don't see that happen. Hopefully Kyle Pitts has the season. We all think he's going to have, but uh, speaking of the season, we think Kyle Pitts is going to have your tier one at tight end. Eric is one person. It's Travis Kelsey. Uh, 
he is the only, like I mentioned, only person in tier one. He's also going in the first round, which I can't remember the last time I saw a tight end uh, not named Travis Kelsey sniff the first round, let alone be like securely a first round pick. His ADP is pick eight. Why is Travis Kelsey worth a first round pick, Eric? Um, I think it makes sense partially because of the way drafts are going. More people are fading running backs early, the zero running back strategy, or, you know, get the bell cow and then draft someone else. Um, so, I mean, if you're not going to draft quarterbacks, you're not going to draft a running back. It kind of just leaves wide receivers and tight ends. And Kelsey is one of the few tight ends that's going to get wide receiver volume. Um, he's played 15 or more games in each of the past seven seasons, topped 100 targets in each of the past six. Uh, he saw 145 targets last year. They're just only like five active tight ends that have come anywhere near 145 targets. So he's just a difference maker volume wise, almost all the other tight ends. You're just hoping for touchdowns. So uh, that's why he stands out for me is just his consistency. I think the only way you can really knock him is just age and just, you know, thinking this is going to be the year he declines. But other than that, I mean, it's, he's playing with Mahomes and he's consistent every year. So um, I totally get it if you don't want a tight end first round, but uh, I think at the back half, uh, Kelsey makes a ton of sense. Something I worry about with Kelsey a little bit is you might remember this from when Rob Gronkowski was in his prime. He's the last tight end from before Kelsey that was a first round pick on multiple occasions. Is it possible that we're going to be playing tag with Travis Kelsey's ADP every year? Like last year, he was a second round pick. He outperformed it this year. He's a first rounder. Now we draft him in the first and he does okay, but doesn't have the insanely generational season that he had last year. And he's a second rounder next year and you wasted your first round pick. I just feel like it. he's the type of guy where we could might be chasing last year's amazing production and his ADP isn't as forward looking as we might think it is. I mean, it's fair. I mean, he did put up a 15.9 point per game season in 19 and 18.4 and 18. Uh, it was 20.9 last year, so he certainly spiked. I get that. There could be some regression to a little more normal season. But, I mean, I think you're at least getting the tight end one, even if he does regress some. So I think it's going to take injury. Waller's close, but I'm just willing – I mean, like you said about Las Vegas earlier, I'm just willing to trust Mahomes and the Chiefs way more than whatever's going on in Las Vegas. So that's the that's the difference maker to me. Yeah, Kelsey, I just want to point out, was uh, tied for sixth in targets last year. Uh, not at tight end, uh, everyone. Um, so he was the the top tight end. Or, yeah, the top tight end in targets actually tied with Darren Waller. Uh, so let's talk about Waller. Uh, by the way, just uh, yes or no, are you drafting Kelsey in the first round, Eric? Very back end, but um, I'll mix it in some. I'm not every draft, but if it was a Ryan. home league and it was like my one big draft, I don't think I am. I'm just too much of a sucker for running backs and wide receivers the first six rounds. Ryan, what about you? Are you going to be the guy drafting Kelsey in the first round? Yeah, same deal as Eric. I have some first round Travis Kelsey on some best ball rosters. On underdog, I think I've taken him as high as the 104 just to get some differentiation, but no, if I was doing a single draft, then Travis Kelsey would not be who I'm taking before 111, 112 at the absolute yeah. earliest. I, I will be drafting Travis Kelsey perhaps as high as sixth, uh, maybe seventh. I can't remember exactly which running backs I've had of him. If I'm taking a pass catcher in the first round, it's Travis Kelsey. So I'm I'm all in. You're right. I may be chasing that generational season, but I, I think – we're at the point now with tight end and we'll get it, get to it at the back end of it. But I just, I, I want Travis Kelsey and then just to dunk on everyone all season long as they try to figure out who they, uh, John U. Smith is there, you know, whatever. Um, 
I've, I've had too many seasons where I was the John New Smith guy. I'm tired of it. Give me Travis Kelsey and so I can just stop worrying about that. By the way, I was, I was just looking at ADP on running backs to try to see how many guys I have ahead of Kelsey. And I just want to point out Derek Henry is now officially second uh, amongst running backs. He's actually at, spiked ahead of Dalvin Cook in the last week. So uh, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, okay, so Darren Waller and George Kittle, why are they going as high as they are kind of at the uh, end of the second, early third? Um, are they worth drafting in that spot? Yeah, so, I mean, Waller last year played 92.8% of the snaps um, and had 145 targets. So this is another one, one of the few in the league that's a volume option. Um, it's It gets tough for me to take him in the second round. I like the kind of lock that Kelsey is, and so I don't take a lot of Waller or Kelsey. But Waller is just a freak from a target perspective. Um, and even, you know, 2019, he had 117 targets. It was just the touchdown scoring that held him back. So, uh, yeah, he's a locked-in tight end, too. I don't think you're going to be unhappy taking him. I just am probably going to chase some upside running backs like Antonio Gibson, or it might be too late for him. But um, And then Kittle, I mean, Kittle's the one that could totally break out and be the tight end one. Um, he's got like the yards per reception, yards per target stuff that um, is just elite efficiency. Uh, what we need from him is health, and we need more touchdowns. Uh, he only has 14 touchdowns on 369 targets, 3.7 touchdown rate. So we're just, it's just health and, and touchdowns for Kittle. We'll see what happens with Trey Lance, how good he is, what he affects Kittle. Uh, it's got to be better than Jimmy G, I think, but maybe it's a super run-heavy offense. So um, Kittle is the high, high ceiling, lower floor option of these three, um, but it is a very intriguing upside. What, yeah, I just, what kind? Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Yeah, I disagree a little bit. I think that Kittle is very, very scary at the start of the third round. I mean, this is an offense now that has Brandon Ayuk going into his second year. This is a profile that we should absolutely love. Ayuk looks like he's set up to take off this year. Debo Samuel's healthy. There's a target squeeze in San Francisco, and. You mentioned that this could be a really run-heavy offense. That's only going to be more true if we get Trey Lance early on. He's going to be rushing maybe seven, eight times a game by himself. So there's not that much target volume to go around. So I really worry with Kittle, and I think the reason to draft a tight end early is because he'll have a weekly floor. It's kind of weird with tight ends. You want their ceiling to be that you can start them every week because you know they'll do okay. And you want their I, ceiling to be their floor. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So so I really worry about Kittle this year in that sense. Yeah, and I actually, I have in my write-up, like I'm targeting him in Dynasty Leagues. Um, redraft, we might be a year early on Kittle, though. That's kind of how I see him. Um, but it's just, I mean, he ranked first in yards per outrun, second yards per target. Like he does have a chance to... Um, outkick a little bit of the regression and target volume if he plays 16 or 17 games and scores some touchdowns. So that would be my defense of him, but I, I think he's more of a dynasty by slightly low than uh, redraft in the second or third round. Let me just ask you, because I think the people who pick Waller and Kittle, it might be because of like the roster construction. So like I'm thinking about it and I'm like, if I have McCaffrey or Cook, and it's the back end of the second round and I'm staring at Waller or Kittle, I'm, I might take one of them because I can also get like a, a wide receiver as well. So I can start off my draft with like a top three running back, a top three tight end and like a top six wide receiver or top maybe top eight wide receiver, which as we talked about on the wide receiver podcast, any of those top nine guys could be like the number one or number two wide receiver in fantasy this year. So I could look at it and be like, I have three guys who legitimately have a claim to being the number one guy. Um, on the team or, or not, not on the team on the at their position so I wonder is there like a 
roster construction that would lead you to being more apt to taking a tight end uh kind of in this like pick 20 to 30 range that that waller and Kittle are going like do you need to have one of those like really generational running backs in order to feel good about it or is it just kind of more like hey if i like if i don't like what 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 will lead you to take one of these guys right i mean i'm generally just going best player on my board this early um i think if you're a zero rb drafter it makes a lot of sense and I do think, yeah, getting McCaffrey, getting Kittle, and then just hammering wide receiver for three or four rounds, that makes a ton of sense too. So um, I, I think it's more just are you scared off by Kittle's injury past, by the target squeeze or not, and it's just where you put him on your board. I, I wouldn't worry too much about the roster construction personally. All right, let's talk about the next tight end because it's Kyle Pitts. And, uh, you know, Ryan, you you mentioned him as your bust. I, I'm very – like honestly, I'm very happy that you're still alive at this moment. That the fantasy football mob has not come to your house and, and just taken you away. So we let's real quick before they they come. What like why should we be concerned about Kyle Pitts? Like do you, do you think we're possibly drafting him at his ceiling? Yeah, I can actually hear the mob protesting outside my house right now. I can I can see some signs uh, with my face with like a big red X over it. Um, so going into Pitts, um, obviously. We've all heard the talking points that he would have to put up one of the best tight end rookie seasons of all time to mm-hmm. live up to a fourth round ADP that this is this is true. I don't want to harp on this a ton, but something that's going under discussed with him is that the Falcons might not be the Falcons we're used to this year. Right. I don't know that there are going to be multiple pass catchers on this team that are going to be really good for fantasy. We've been used to Dirk Cotter calling the plays for Atlanta. I mean, he just loved to air it out. We would see it year after year to Julio and Ridley. It didn't matter. But Arthur Smith is the head coach now for the Titans. And when he was coaching the Titans last year, they passed on under 50% of their plays. This offense might not be as pass heavy as we're used to. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eli Grabanski from QB list has been doing some awesome work on coaching tendencies recently. And he found that Arthur Smith's tight end room has averaged about seven to eight targets per game over the last couple of years. That sounds decent. I'm sure everyone would love seven or eight targets for Kyle Pitts every game. But as you said, Hayden Hurst is there. He's going to be, involved to some extent because as you said uh, the coaches are probably gonna like Hurst blocking a little bit more just because of how hard of a position it is to learn for rookies so if we're looking at maybe five targets a game for Kyle Pitts or do we really want to be drafting him in the fourth round is that really an opportunity cost we're okay with yeah, I said the exact same thing about Mark Andrews last year. Uh, just the the worried about the volume of targets. So, um, Eric, are you similarly worried about Pitts's uh, uh, volume? Or oh, wait, are you are you driving to Ryan's house now to join the mob as well? <laughs> so I want to defend him. Um, I will say that I think we're overdrafting him as far as ADP goes. I'm not taking him in the fourth round, uh, but I don't think we're overdrafting him as the tight end four, if that makes any sense. Um, they're just, they're only a couple tight ends in the whole league that could get 120, 140 targets. And while it would take an impressive rookie year for Pitts, he does fit that profile. Um, there are a lot of guys behind him on the list I don't think can sniff that. And I mean, he's a, he's four, he, he's six foot six and ran a four, 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 40, the fourth overall pick. 
Like, yes, we need one of the best rookie tight end seasons ever, but he is legitimately one of the best fantasy football tight end prospects to come out in a long time, like fantasy football emphasis there. Um, I, I think that's the problem with Hawkinson sometimes is he's a good all-around player, and that's how they use him. Uh, I, You know, Kyle Pitts's competition for targets is Calvin Ridley. He's great. Um, he has been banged up in his career. Russell Gage, a former sixth-round pick. Hayden Hurst, who we've all kind of made fun of indirectly. Uh, Mike <laughs> Davis out of the backfield. Olamide Zacchaeus, I, I didn't even say his name right. Like, there's not much competition there. What happened if Ridley got hurt? Like, so I just, I think that there's a world where Pitts gets a boatload of targets here. And I just, the upside is there. So, no, I'm not taking him in the fourth round. But um, if it was all things considered equal, I would take him before Hawkinson. All right. That's fair. Um, let's, I mean, let's actually talk about Hawkinson and Andrews. They're going almost exactly identical. Um, Andrews, uh, ADP at pick 53, Hawkinson at pick 54. Before we talk about them specifically, I just kind of want to ask if you come into what is that mid fifth round and you've got on your team, whatever, uh, two running backs, two wide receivers, uh, are you, how would you feel about picking Hawkinson or Andrews versus, one of the quarterbacks in that range, right? I mean, we're talking, this is kind of the range we had discussed uh, targeting quarterback uh, in our quarterback preview. We're looking at guys like Justin Herbert, uh, Aaron Rodgers, maybe Dak Prescott might fall a little bit, maybe Russell Wilson. Um, Eric, who would you be picking one of these quarterbacks or would you be picking one of these tight ends if you had to choose? I'm more concerned with getting the top of my quarterback tiers that we talked about than I am tight ends. So um, tight ends, I'm really just taking them when their values, and otherwise, I'm still kind of going mildly late tight end strategy. So, uh, no, I would I would jump at a quarterback like Justin Herbert or Russell Wilson before I would some of these tight ends. I, I just, if you don't get one of the quarterbacks with rushing ability, you're really risking it with Trey Lance or with some of these other. Uh, you know, we don't know how many games they're going to start. So, give me the quarterbacks. Ryan, what yeah. about you? I agree. We want to target the end of that top quarterback tier with guys like Russell Wilson that have this game breaking rushing upside. Um, and yeah, with tight ends, the middle round tight ends have really poor hit rates historically. So I'm way more inclined to be taking someone like Russell Wilson over going Hawkinson or Andrews. Okay. Um, now you're sitting there in, in the fifth round and, and actually I'm telling you, you have to pick one of Hawkinson or Andrews. Um, Eric, you, you mentioned Hawkinson as the bus. So go ahead and make the case why we should be picking Mark Andrews and not TJ Hawkinson. If we're taking that tight end in the fifth round. Well, no, I have Hawkinson ranked ahead of Andrews. Um, oh, I picked him mind. as the, <laughs> I, I don't particularly like Andrews either. So um, we'll get to him later, but I mean, the problem with Hawkinson for me, is, you know, he was tight end five overall, but played 16 games last year. Um, he had a 10.9% drop rate, 14th in yards per route run, 15 in yards per target. Like it was all kind of middling. And that was with Stafford. Um, now he's got Jared Goff. I just, I don't know that he's got that elite tight end upside. And I, I think a lot of people do. So that's, that's why he was my bust is I just think expectations are a little out of check. I think a lot of people have kind of been down on Mark Andrews um, and his news is actually trending up with all these wide receiver injuries. So uh, maybe we need to take a second look at him, but um, no, I'll take Hawkinson first. Uh, I, I think he's got the better shot. Uh, well, he has had more targets in his career. He's got the better shot at like 120 target season, but uh, I just, I think expectations are a little high on Hawkinson. I just want to point out, you mentioned, you said he played 16 games, like that was a bad thing. But I think what you're getting at is that there are other tight ends that he was ahead of who played fewer games than him, but were more impressive on a per game basis. Hawkinson was tight end five. 
not solely based on the fact that he played 16 games, but it was a bit of just yeah. the accumulator uh, effect where in that each week he wasn't necessarily a top five tight end. He just always played. Yeah. Um, and I mean, he 11 points per game. Like that was not a difference making season. You were happy to have him on your team, but it, it wasn't bringing you home the title at the end of the year. I don't think it was just a, a solid piece to have on your roster. Gotcha. I just wanted to kind of explain yeah. in case someone's like, wait, he played. So he's healthy. Like that's a, that's a bad thing, Eric. Like that's not what, what am I doing here? What am I doing wrong at tight end? Thank you um, for translating for me. I appreciate it. <laughs> Ryan, what are you uh, in terms of Hawkinson versus Andrews? Where do you uh, sit on that debate? Yeah, I am also going to lean Hawkinson a little bit. I might be convinced otherwise with all these injuries that are happening in the Ravens passing game now, but with Hawkinson, I really don't understand why all of the Kyle Pitts stands aren't on TJ Hawkinson. Like, you can't tell me that these guys are all that different. Hawkinson was also drafted in the top 10. He's actually commanded over 100 targets in the NFL in a season. Like, that's actually happened. We're not just hoping it's going to happen, like with Pitts. And, I mean, Hawkinson's a beast. He's huge. He's athletic. I mean, there's not a whole lot of target competition on the Lions. They're they're not going to be great, probably. Maybe he doesn't have the touchdown upside, but I can see drafting Hawkinson just for the target floor that he's going to provide you in the middle rounds where I don't, I'm sorry to keep going back to the Kyle Pittswell, but just <laughs> comparing, comparing these two players side by side, just it, it feels so wrong that Pitts is going over Hawkinson. All right. Um, we got tier four of tight ends here. It's kind of a big tier. This is, I think this is the tier where you missed out on one of these uh, higher targets, you know, that go in the first five rounds that have a chance really of being like a top three, top four tight end. And you're at the point now where you're like, I want to, I'm, uh, you're hoping that you can draft a guy that you can just plug and play and, and not have to worry about uh, all season long. So right now, Eric, the way you've ranked them, um, we've got Logan Thomas at seven, Noah Fant at eight, Robert Tunyon at nine, uh, Tyler Higby at 10, Hunter Henry at 11, although that might change uh, given the, the most recent information. And then Dallas Goddard at 12. I do want to point out uh, that the industry right now is drafting Goddard first out of that group. And then everyone, basically everyone else just slides down one slot. Um, so let's talk about Goddard because he's going currently uh, right at the six, seven turn. Um, what, like what, Eric, why do you think he's the back end of this tier as opposed to the front of it? Like uh, the industry's drafting him. Yeah, so a lot of it's just the Eagles um, and their passing game. I just don't have great feelings about. I mean, we've had some really bad reports from Jalen Hurts in camp. I know that's not everything. Uh, we've heard that about a lot of quarterbacks. But I just I don't know that the volume from a passing game perspective is going to be there. Zach Ertz is still there for now. Um, and they keep we keep thinking he's going to get traded, but he hasn't been. Uh, he's only 30. Like, I know that's getting up there in age for an NFL player, but it's not like he's 36. Like, he could be on the field a lot, splitting with Goddard, low-volume passing offense. It's just, I don't know. He averaged 5.7 targets per game and hurts three full games. It's fine. I just, I, I this tier is all very close. I put him at the bottom. Um, maybe with some injuries in the receiving core, he could creep back up. But I, I don't know. This Eagles team in general, I'm just kind of out on this year. Ryan, yeah. do you feel similarly about Goddard, or do you have him higher than Eric does? I have Goddard a lot higher than Eric does. I agree that his ADP maybe needs to come down a little bit more before I'm actually drafting him, but I would put him at the top of this tier. And the reason is Zach Ertz is a red herring. We've seen Dallas Goddard produce as a top 12 tight end, even with Ertz fully healthy before. 
last year there were only five games when both of them were fully healthy when neither of them left a game early in those five games goddard averaged 7.6 targets a game so i i don't know what we're talking about with goddard here like he has that target floor that's a rare thing this late in the draft he's someone that i'm targeting in this tier yeah but i mean i think we got a new system here um it's not wentz anymore uh, Hertz could steal a lot of red zone touchdowns. I don't know what the touchdown ceiling is here. I, I don't know. It's just the whole offense is in flux. I like Hertz as a late round, you know, scrambling quarterback for fantasy purposes, but there's just not much else here I'm after. So, but it's again, it's the same tier. These guys are all really close. I think one of my favorite things that I, I, I love fantasy football Twitter for the memes. Um, and one of my favorite ones after the report that Goddard was Hertz favorite target was someone said, so his second favorite target after the ground. Um, cause uh, yeah, I, I just, I love that. Um, Eric, you have Logan Thomas at the top of this tier. You also had mentioned him as a breakout candidate for you. So why should we be drafting Logan Thomas, uh, as the first tight end of the kind of like post, uh, everyone kind of understands these are the top six. Why should Logan Thomas be the first guy drafted after that? So we got 110 targets last year. Um, only Ertz, Kelsey, Kelsey, Waller, and Kittle have topped that over the past three years. So, I mean, that's pretty high territory for a tight end just right off the bat. Um, he's going from Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, Kyle Allen, and Taylor Heineke to however many games we get out of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, that's going to be more downfield throwing. I think that's going to benefit Thomas. Um, and this stat I found I thought was pretty incredible. Uh, Logan Thomas out-targeted Robert Tanyan, another receiver, 110 to 59 and they scored about the same po- same amount of points last year. Like, like he definitely underperformed his 110 targets. Tanyan had a ton of touchdowns. Logan Thomas did not. Um, I think if we can get that volume right in that range again with a more competent quarterback that's not checking down to J.D. McKissick every time, I just think there's a big season here. So um, give me the volume. Uh, and then even with, like, Curtis Samuel, he's been out of camp. Um, he's looking a little iffy for the start of the year. That kind of leaves Terry McLaurin, uh, the running game, um, some – Young and exciting receivers, but inexperienced. So there's a chance this is Logan Thomas and Terry McLaurin uh, getting a lot of passes from Fitzpatrick. So I just I think there's a lot of upside here. And uh, if he can do what he did last year with Alex Smith, I, I think he can do at least that with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I feel like I remember anecdotally that, uh, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, that Dwayne Haskins, in those few games he started at the beginning of the year, that he was targeting Logan Thomas a lot, and they just could not connect, partially because Dwayne Haskins can't hit the side of a barn when he throws <laughs> a football. So that that was part of the issue, why Thomas had so many targets and wasn't efficient with it. I I, I mean, I'm not saying Ryan Fitzpatrick is like the most accurate quarterback out there, but um, he's more accurate than Dwayne Haskins. So there's that. Um, with this tier, it just really feels like at this point, it, it's a lot of beauty in the eye of the beholder and just how much risk you're willing to take. So just real quick, hit me on what's like the ceiling and what's the floor for the rest of the uh, tight ends in this tier. For Noah Fant, what, what do you see as like the ceiling and the floor for him? I mean, he's got everything you'd want from a breakout tight end. He's young, insane athletic profile, first round draft capital. Um, so, I mean, the upside is big. It's just hard to picture a crazy upside with his quarterback situation. So um, I, I think he could he could fight for uh, tight end five, six range. Um, I'm not sure that he has tight end one in his, his range of outcomes, but his floor is pretty low. We've seen Fant banged up. We've seen him this time. Uh, we've seen this quarterback room struggle. So he, he's he's definitely a little bit of a boom bust player here, but it's, it's buying the profile, buying the age. Um, we hope that he's on the upswing. It just doesn't always happen like that in tight end. All right, what about Robert Tunyon? 
I mean, like I said before, uh, just 59 targets last year, but scored 11 touchdowns, uh, caught 52 of those 59 targets, 82.5% catch rate, 18.6% touchdown rate. Like that's going to come down. Um, we hope that he gets more targets. Uh, but if he's down in the 60 to 80 target range, his ceiling's just really capped. So, um, you know, hey, there are worse people to to draft than someone who's tied to Aaron Rodgers, and we know how many touchdowns he's going to throw. But even Rodgers' touchdowns are set to regress. So I think Tanyan's more of just uh, kind of um, – he, he, he's going to finish right around this range, tight end seven to nine. I th- he's going to be pretty consistent because he'll get in the end zone. But uh, I don't think there's a breakout coming. All right. And then next on your list is Tyler Higby. This is someone that Ryan, you had mentioned him as a breakout candidate. So what's Higby ceiling? Um, and, and, you know, why, why should we believe that he's the guy that's going to get there? Yeah. Higby ceiling is really high. And when you ask me about a breakout tight end, that's going to break into the top five, the way that I hear that question is which tight end is going to score a ton of touchdowns randomly yeah. this year. And Tyler Higby really fits the profile. This is an offense that we're targeting. We should be excited about Matt Stafford in LA. I mean, there's even less target competition there this year than there was last year. Gerald Everett is now gone. So Higby's probably going to be seeing a lot more snaps I mean, they brought in Deshaun Jackson, who will play maybe two games. We might see two Deshaun Jackson games this year. (laughs) I mean, behind that, who's the third receiver on this offense? This target share is consolidated with Cup and Woods. Daryl Henderson's not going to command a bunch of targets. We've seen what he looks like trying to catch the ball in the NFL. So I do see a big ceiling for Higby here. Yeah. And I mean, the more I look at him, the more I want to raise him up higher. Uh, I mean, his big breakout coincided with uh, when Gerald, Gerald, Gerald Everett was injured in 2019. Um, I mean, Higby was averaging 10 targets a game over that six week stretch. So um, we've seen him blow up without Everett around. And I like that Higby's a cheap option on this Rams offense to get a piece of this offense in case it blows up. You're not paying as much as you are for Stafford or for the receivers. So, yeah, Higby's a nice dart throw. And I think he's probably even better than that. You can roll into the season with him as your tight end one and he could really score a bunch of touchdowns like Ryan said. Uh, the next guy on your list is Hunter Henry. I, I mean, I don't really want to talk too much about the New England tight ends because so much can change. Um, I mean, if we find out Mac Jones is the quarterback, that changes everything. So yeah. I just want to know if if you're drafting right now, like, are you taking a flyer on Henry or Smith at all? Or are you okay to just kind of let them go undrafted at the moment? So, yeah, I'm probably passing on them in a typical league. I'm going to jumble up this uh, 11 through 16 ranking range. Um, the, the Pats fans have got to me. I'm lowering their expectations here. I was just hoping for Mac Jones to play earlier. And I, I think Hunter Henry is an underrated pass catcher. So there's ceiling here, but the injury is just a bad step from day one. So now I'm going to drop him, probably not drafting him. Uh, I'll raise people like Goddard and uh, Gesicki, uh, Troutman, uh, raise them up the rankings quite a bit here. Okay, yeah, we're going to keep a close eye on this situation, obviously, um, as, as things continue to unfold in New England's training camp. Um, but as of right now, it sounds like Henry and Smith safe to uh, drop them down into like the, you know, maybe if you're in a league where people are drafting two tight ends and you're at like tight end 18 and you just stuck, um, grab Hunter Henry. Um, the last tier we're going to talk about is tier five because uh, it goes all the way back to your tight end 21. And again, you know, if you're in a league where they're drafting more than 21 tight ends and you need to go deeper than that, um, then you need to come to our Discord and ask us uh, about that because it's clearly a weird league that you're in and you have weird, uh, co- you know, co-managers so, or, or managers in your league. So just, you know, just ask us in Discord. Um, but Tier 5, I just want to hit the, the names first and I have a couple of questions about some of these guys. Um, we got Jonu Smith, 
uh, obviously about to you know, drop way down. Mike Kosicki in Miami, Adam Troutman, um, the New Orleans Saints tight end, Evan Ingram, Irv Smith Jr., Austin Hooper, Rob Gronkowski, Anthony Ferkser, and then Gerald Everett, who we've talked about quite a bit already. Um, the first two people I want to talk about are Irv Smith and, and Gronk because – Eric, you have them ranked 17 and 19. Even if they jump up a couple spots, they're still outside of the top 12. But Irv Smith Jr. is being drafted in 98% of Yahoo Fantasy Leagues. Gronk in 83% of leagues. Are we overrating these guys? Is this, is this just like, is Irv Smith like the official sleeper uh, stamped by Fantasy Football Twitter? <laughs> well, let me start with Gronk. I mean, I kind of ranking him low just to make a point here. I just, he finished tight end nine overall last year, but it was a down year at the position point-per-game basis. He was tight end 15. Um, People talk about them keeping Brady healthy for the stretch run. If they're going to do it for anyone, it's Gronk. Uh, They have too many weapons for them to just feed him the ball. So, yes, he's going to score some touchdowns, but I just – I don't think there's enough upside here for me to pick Rob Gronkowski. So that's why he's lower. I know that he's going to score, you know, six, seven touchdowns. He's going to be playable. I just don't see the ceiling here. Um, Irv Smith, like – I don't know. He's just one of these classic tight ends that we hype up before we've seen him break out. He fits the profile, but we've talked about a lot of tight ends already that fit the profile of a possible breakout. Um, and, you know, he's entering his age 23 season. Like he could he could wait to break out until age 26. We just don't know. Um, with Jefferson and Thielen, that's a ton of targets. Yeah, obviously, Dalvin Cook soaking up a bunch of rushes. I just don't see it. They've already talked about Tyler Conklin's going to fill the Rudolph role. I, I, I don't see a breakout from Irv Smith, so I, I'm letting other people draft him in the hype range. All right, and then uh, Mike Kosicki, uh, top of the tier, currently being drafted in 98% of Yahoo League, so it really seems like he's one of the uh, kind of top 12 as far as everyone's concerned there. Um, I mean, again, you know, Henry and Johnny Smith are both ahead of him, and they're both going to be tumbling down these rankings, so uh, that would put him uh, tentatively at 12 in your rankings, Eric. Um He's being drafted in 98% of leagues, but three of the tight ends right behind him are being drafted in fewer than 70% of leagues. And that's Adam Troutman, Evan Ingram, and Austin Hooper. So are any of these three guys someone you would draft uh, uh, you know, ahead of Gesicki or ahead of Irv Smith Jr., kind of like that last tight end? And um, if you are, which one are you targeting the most? Yeah, I mean, I think Troutman's got a lot of upside, um, especially with Michael Thomas injury. Um, Jared Cook's gone. It's just it, it's really parted for him. As long as this isn't a low volume passing offense, if we can get Jameis in there, there's a lot of targets available. And even with Taysom Hill, he could be the preferred pass catcher. Who knows? So um, I think Troutman's intriguing. Um, he does just have 16 career targets. So again, we've seen so many of these tight ends hyped up over the years. That just don't do anything. But he's worth he's worth the upside for where you can get him. And then Austin Hooper, I just see as he's just like a free tight end at the end of drafts. Um, If you bust on a high risk one like Kyle Pitts, like you can just get Austin Hooper, who has 70 or more targets in each of his past three years. Um, He's probably not going to replicate that crazy 2019 in Atlanta, but um, there's, you know, there's going to be a lot of tight ends on the field in Cleveland. Uh, He's going to score some touchdowns and he's going to get targets. So I I just think if you fail at the tight end position, Austin Hooper's there. You're not going to get a zero every week. That's that's what I'm looking at from Hooper. I'm so proud of you, Eric. You did not mention Evan Ingram. And I even threw him in there to see if you'd fall for the trap. You're, well done. You've come so far. We're uh-huh. all so proud of you. Uh, Ryan, what about you? You you missed all the tight ends you wanted. Uh, everyone in your league sucks, and, and they all drafted you know multiple tight ends, and you're really stuck here, and you're looking at Troutman, Ingram, and Hooper. Um, you don't have a weird history with Evan Ingram, so it's not a trap. You're allowed to say him if you like. Uh, but which of these three tight ends are you kind of looking at as like the, you know, hey, we're at the end of the draft, and I have to put someone – in the in the in this position 
Yeah, so the answer for me is Troutman here. And the reason for that is upside. He's the unknown commodity. I mean, there's really not a lot of target competition here on the Saints. I know we haven't seen it with Troutman at the NFL level, but when Marquez Calloway is leading the wide receivers in training camp, just like I said about Jacoby Myers, this is good news for Adam Troutman. I mean, he has weekly starter volume in his range of outcomes this year. And I mean, we could also say that about Hooper and Ingram, I guess, but I'm just not as intrigued by these guys, by these retreads at the tight end position. I'm looking for somebody that is going to burst onto the scene. And I know we do get burned by these guys every single year. I mean, it's the football's getting pulled away from me, like in Charlie Brown, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. And I'm not sorry. I love that. We need to we need to use that more in the fantasy. It's a football scene. We've got to use that that more. (laughs) That's a strong meme potential in the fantasy football industry. I'm very disappointed. I I don't think I've seen it used once. We got we we got to get on that, Eric. Put it on our Twitter. Do you want me to hype up Evan Ingram before we leave? (sighs) You have to. I think you're contractually obligated. Do it. Just go go for it. No, this is uh, very reluctant. All all I'll say (laughs) is Kenny Galladay's already hurt. Uh, Kadarius Tony, who knows what's going on with him? Sterling Shepard's always hurt. Like, hey, maybe, maybe uh, he gets another 109 targets and ranks tight end 19 on points. This just it just the problem is that Daniel Jones just can't doesn't hit targets, and then also Evan Ingram. I don't know. Yeah, what's what's his deal, man? He gets so many targets and he doesn't bring them down. It's well, also doesn't help that Jason Garrett has been using him close to the line of scrimmage, which doesn't fit his game. But yeah, does not fit his profile at all. Yeah, you know what? Worst case scenario for Kyle Pitts is Jason Garrett uh, suddenly becomes offensive coordinator uh, in Atlanta. That would be (laughs) that would be the worst case scenario for for Pitts. Garrett is. Uh, yeah, I'm very happy. I was very happy when he got hired in New York. I was like, this is best case scenario for us. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's it for the tight ends. Um, you know, again, if you need to go deeper than that, uh, please, you know, hit us up on discord. Um, you know, you can DM Eric, you can DM Ryan, you can tag us uh, in, in the general channel and just let us know what questions you got. We're here to help you get through your drafts. Uh, again, you can go to pitcherlist.com slash plus to sign up for not just the QB list community, but also the pitcher list community. Um, and we, talk about all kinds of stuff in there. I mean, we, we got everything you need, but we'll definitely help you with your fantasy football drafts. Um, so that's it for the positional previews. I will probably do like a little mini teaser on kickers and defenses uh, at some point, but um, obviously we're not going to spend an entire podcast on them like we did for the last four positions. So uh, we'll see you guys next week as we uh, continue to watch what's going on in the preseason and help you win your fantasy football games.